Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, and today continuing our journey through this wonderful Gospel. We're going to study today and preach out of verses 22 down to 34. So you can find Luke chapter 12, and in just a moment we'll begin by reading only verse 34, and then we'll back up and go through the text uh, passage by passage. Uh, help me though, real quick, before we start with the reading, uh, everybody help me with this. Simple word, make sure we're on the same page here, part. Everybody understand the word, what I've said there, part. Help me spell it. P-A-R-T. T. All right, good. We got that. P-A-R-T. Never spell it backwards because then it's a trap. Uh, there's my dad joke. All right, Luke chapter 12. <laughs> Luke chapter 12 and verse number 34. Luke 12 and verse 34. Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And from this passage, I would like to preach to you a sermon called you have God, so dot, dot, dot. You have God, so... And we're going to look at what Jesus said on that topic. Let's bow our heads, please, and talk to our Father above. Father, we thank you for this wonderful singing that we've been able to enjoy. Thank you for the privilege of lifting our voices on high. And Father, we look forward to the day when we are there at your throne. And no longer by faith, but we can do it by sight and see you and sing how great thou art. Lord, in the meantime, we ask that you please come down and meet with us here. Speak to us on this very important subject and help us to calibrate ourselves exactly where we need to be as it relates to God and money. Help us to understand this properly and walk away ready to do something about it. Please help me to preach and help us all to have ears to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse number 34, classic verse. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus recognizes the ability for money, wealth, treasure, to affect the heart. He sees the connection. He understands that the world is sometimes moved, sometimes too much, by treasure. And Jesus, I believe he's going to show us throughout this passage how we can use slash manage our earthly money, our earthly treasure, to help keep our hearts where they need to be. Understanding Jesus, of course, understanding the immense power that treasure has. If you put it in the right place, it can help anchor your heart where it needs to be. If you were here last week, you remember that we covered verses 13 down to 21. Let me just quickly remind you, look at verse 13. It says, And one of the company said unto him, so Jesus in that passage is not addressing the question of a disciple. He is addressing the question that comes from just one of the company. A nameless, faceless guy in the crowd who's, who knows, we don't know how familiar he is with Jesus. But he wants to use Jesus to get something on this earth. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus then more or less rebukes this man and in verse number 15 tells him to beware of covetousness. He addresses the entire crowd at this point. And by the time we get, got down to verse 20, Jesus in this parable says, God would say to such a man, thou fool, thou fool. 
Now, this was one of the company. Look at verse 22. And he said unto his disciples. So Jesus has just talked about being rich toward God, verse 21. And closing that short little conversation with one of the company, he then focuses his next thoughts towards his disciples. So the guy in verse 13, we don't know. Does he have a walk with God? Does he not? Kind of looks like he didn't. Kind of looks like he's the fool of verse 20. But now Jesus is going to, while he's talking about money, he's going to address the same subject of the world's wealth, but now he's going to talk to his disciples about that subject. And I believe there are three different things that come out of this passage that his disciples should know about money. And we're going to talk about those three, uh, three things today. Hence the name of my sermon, You Have God. So, so I understand I'm talking today to people that have been saved and that are trying to walk with the Lord and follow the Lord. If you are not saved, perhaps there's a different conversation that we could have with you. I still think no matter where you're at with God, there's something you can learn from this passage. But I'm specifically addressing these thoughts today towards those that do have God living in their heart. So verses 20, let's begin in verse 22 down to 28. Let's read it and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Verse 22, it says, He, he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? He says in verse 26, If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you and then Jesus tacks this on the end, O ye of little faith. So here's my first point I believe that Jesus is bringing out here. You have God. He's talking to his disciples. He's saying, guys, you have God, so stop worrying. You have God, so don't worry. Now going back to verse 22, let's make sure we get uh, the proper understanding of this phrase, take no thought. When it says take no thought, this doesn't mean you can't think about the future and you can't make a plan. I gave you last week several instances where Jesus does recommend planning for your financial future and your spiritual future. So by all means, you can be mindful about money. That's not a sin. But take no thought. I'm sure you've used this phrase at some point in your life. Maybe somebody has offended you in some way. And then they come and say, oh, you know what? I said this. I'm so sorry. What are they? They're, they're bothered by what they did. They're, they're worried that they have hurt you. So then you can respond like this, uh, don't think anything of it. Don't think about it again. What are we telling them? You don't need to worry. It's a common phrase that expresses the thought, don't stress. 
It's fine. We can go on, right? It's a common, a common exchange that people have. That's the idea here. The, the words that are translated, take no thought, they also mean don't be anxious, don't stress. It's the same thought that's being communicated. If you have God, there's actually never anything that you should worry about. Think about that for a moment. Now, my sermon today is about money. That's what Jesus is addressing. So I'm not going to talk about all the areas of life where doubt tends to creep in. We're just going to talk about this uh, topic of finances. But let me draw your attention back to verse 22 again. Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. Can I just tell you now that I would never say that. As a human being who has struggled at various times in life, and who has seen others struggle mightily to find their next meal and to find something to wear and a place to sleep. And I would not say this. Me as a human being, I would think, yep, there's a time to worry. There's a time to panic. Why? Because I'm good at it. And therefore, I am happy to allow you to also panic. I'm going to let that happen. But see, Jesus is not like the rest of us. He knows exactly how much God cares about us. We can't fathom that. He knows just how intimately aware God is of every single thing going on in your life. He knows more about the details than you know about your own life. So how do we know? How many hairs are on your head? Bald people can't answer. How many hairs are on your head? <laughs> You're excluded from this exercise. <laughs> You don't know, but, but the Bible says God has every hair numbered. Think of this. We read in the passage, He feeds the ravens. He understands where, He knows where every bird on this planet is at. Do you? I wouldn't think to keep track of that, but He does. He knows every single thing going on, and, and he, Jesus knows just how much God cares about what's happening in our life, and therefore He and He alone, I say, is able to confidently step up, step up and say, you should not worry. You have God. No need to worry. Verse 23, the life is more than meat, the body more than raiment. There's, there's a bigger plan than just putting food, on and, uh, food in and clothes on. There's more to life. Rather than just seeking those earthly things, how about spending some time seeking after heavenly, spiritual, eternal things? There's more to life than just eating and wearing clothes. Verse 24, consider the ravens. All right, let's do that for a moment. Think about the ravens. That's an unclean bird. He didn't say consider the doves. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Consider the ravens. They're not clean. They're unclean. They're bad birds. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They don't have a storehouse or a barn. They don't have a bank account. You remember the guy in the passage before? He was building bigger barns, not the ravens. God makes a plan not only to feed the just, but even the unjust. He makes the sun to shine on the good and the evil, doesn't He? He has a plan to take care of every human being that enters this world because He, as the Creator of mankind, has pity on us. Even if we don't deserve it, because who does? The ravens are taken care of. Maybe the worst of the bird family. So if God's going to have pity on them, how much more do you think He's going to have pity on you? You say, I'm not good enough to have God take care of me. That's not why He takes care of us. He takes care of us because of His nature, not ours. 
Verse 25, And which of you, taking thought, can add one stature to his cubit? Or add to his stature, sorry, one cubit. A cubit is from your elbow to the tip of your finger. You know what? I, I, I would dare say that by thinking, by, by worrying about it, you can't add one centimeter. One millimeter, that's not going to help you grow. If anything, stress and anxiety stunt your growth. If anything, it affects your health. Think about this for a moment. Jesus, by this point, has been watching humanity for 4,000 years. Not one problem in the history of the world was ever helped by somebody worrying about it. I'm not saying that you don't need to take action. There's a time to stop, think, pray, act. But once you've done all you can do, as Dr. Ruckman taught us, go fishing. There's nothing else you can do. Stop worrying. You have God. Let Him do His part. Do what He's told you to do and then get busy trusting God after that. Verse 27, consider the lilies. They don't toil, they don't spin, and yet they're beautiful. Think about the lilies. He told us to consider. Let's think about it for a moment. They are beautiful for a while. They clothe the field. God dresses up the field using them, and then where do they go? Verse 28, today they're in the field, tomorrow they're in the fire. They pass through this world never having worked a day in their existence. They look beautiful for a while, and then after that, the only use they have is the fire. You know, that is not God's plan for humanity. God does not intend for anybody to pass through this world and head off to the fire. That is why Jesus came, to stop that so that would never happen. The the, the fires of hell were created for the devil and his angels, not for any human being. And furthermore, there's there's a difference between us and the lilies. God made us to work. All right, we need to go back over that again. Here we go. Everybody get your amen ready. God made us to work. All right, all right. We'll work on that a little bit more as the days go on. Said, Brother Mike, I know that part of the Bible. That's Genesis chapter 3. God said that because Adam sinned, now the ground is cursed, and thorns and thistles shall it bring forth unto thee, and through the sweat of your brow you'll eat your bread. And right? Right? And we think work is a curse. That's Genesis 3. How about Genesis 2? Where God planted a garden eastward, uh, planted the garden eastward in Eden, and then he put the man in the garden to dress it and to keep it. He gave that man a job before sin ever entered the world. God gave Adam a job. He was a gardener. He was a gardener. That's the world's oldest profession, by the way. It's not that other thing. It's gardening. (laughs) It's gardening. The world's oldest profession. There's something godly about working hard and then standing back after a good hard day's work, looking at what you've done and saying, hey, I started here and now I've ended here. I accomplished something. There's a satisfaction. There's a contentment that comes with that. Why? Because you're imitating your Creator. He worked hard for six days, stood back and said, that's very good. There's something satisfying. And if you don't work hard to take something that's maybe chaotic and turn it into something profitable... If you don't put in that effort, yeah, your life is going to feel kind of empty. Brother Garrett's been giving us the book of Ecclesiastes, and what a wonderful job he's done. That's been a great series. But part of that book, then he's emphasized it. I'm just going to kind of dovetail on what he has said. One of the 
portions in this life that God gives to us. We're talking about things under the sun. We're not talking about eternity. In this life, one of the blessings that God gives us is to enjoy the work of our labor. Enjoy the fruit of it. And say, hey, I worked hard and now I get to eat good. And that's a blessing from God. The lilies don't have that. They don't get to work. We do. The lilies only can look forward to the fire. You're, you're meant for more than that. You're meant to one day stand in the presence of God and enjoy Him for all eternity. The lilies don't have that. Listen, if God made a plan that can take care of the lilies that are one day here and one day gone, just those very temporary things, if God is mindful to take care of them, can't He make a plan to take care of you? You say, well, I'm just going to sit back in my recliner and let God just take care of me. You're not a lily. Hey, brother, get up and work. <laughs> God, God will put you in a garden somewhere and give you a job. Amen. Amen. It used to be, and, and this, is, this is a used to be thing. This is part of my past. It used to be that people who didn't stress out about various parts of life, they bothered me. It got on my nerves. I'm not saying that that was a commendable thing. That was, that was wrong of me. But I used to look at older, you know, more mature Christians and I think, why aren't you all broken up and worried and stressing about this and this and this? And these people come in and talk about their problems and man, their life was just trouble front to back. And I, I think, why aren't you worried? If that were me, I'd be panicked. I wouldn't sleep at night. I'd have to take pills. I'd, I'd have to do something. And I'd look at them and think, you know, you, pay, you make no sense. Here's what I would think. I, I remember thinking this on a number of occasions. They must not care enough about their life. And then as, as my life has progressed, and I've seen the Lord step in over and over again, and with abundant mercy just take care of me when I couldn't possibly have taken care of myself, I've learned something about those situations. It's not that they don't care about their life. They have taken all their cares and cast them upon the Lord and found out through experience and through the Scripture that the Lord does indeed care for them. And as life goes on and you see God step in and out of mercy just take care of you, you'll also find out, hey, I have God. So what business do I have worrying about anything? I will do what God has told me to do I will work and let God handle the rest. I believe that's the lesson we learn from verses 22 to 28. You have God, so don't worry. And now verses 29 to 31. Let's read there. The Bible says, and. Do you see how he puts the word and in there? He pivots out of point one, and now he's going to uh, go towards point two. And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, Neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather, seek ye, talking to His disciples, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Point two, I'm going to use the wording from verse number 30. Do you see where it says the nations of the world? That word nations, it's a synonym. If you want to say nations, you can also say Gentiles. You can also say heathen. It's all the same word, actually. So here's my point. You have God, so don't act like the world. 
Now, do you see how that point is applicable in every part of your life? But again, this passage is about money, so we're going to focus our attention on that. You have God, so as it pertains to money, do not act, do not treat money the way the world treats money. Now, let me explore that a little further, because everybody, whether you're saved or lost, we're supposed to work, pay our bills. Jesus is going to teach us in Luke chapter 16 to make to ourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. So it's okay to be friendly with money. You don't want to be enemies with money. You like some of the money to hang out in your bank account. It's okay if you say amen there. That's, that's fine too. That's not wrong. That's not sinful. Here's how the world approaches it though. Instead of using money as a tool to function in this world and actually serve God, they elevate money to the primary position and begin to seek after it the way that they should be seeking after the Lord. How many of you remember this verse? 1 Chronicles 16, verse 11. Good old 1611. It says, seek the Lord, seek His strength, seek His face continually. You know what that word seek indicates? Worship Him. Look at verse 29. And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink. He's not saying you can't look for your next meal. He's saying don't worship it. Don't seek it like you would the face of God. Seek, verse 31, seek ye the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, it says in Matthew, and His righteousness, and all these things get added unto you. The Apostle John said it like this in 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love uh, the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He says, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What's he emphasizing? We as believers, as disciples, we have no business loving the world as we're we're supposed to love the Father. Do we have to function in the world? Sure. But Jesus said, no man can have two masters. You love the one, hate the other. You hold to the one, despise the other. So when it comes to God and money, we have to love God. That means put Him in the primary position and everything else comes second to that. Does that make sense? Everything else comes after that somewhere. I'm going to hold on to God and think small of the other things compared to Him. The problem is, and I believe what Jesus is trying to address here, he's talking to his disciples and he says, guys, never get this, never get this out of balance. Never rearrange the priorities to where the things of the world become more important to you and you seek them like you're supposed to seek God. So if you have God, don't act like the world. Why? We all are familiar with how much effort the world puts into making money. I used to work at a credit reporting agency, but actually before I got saved, I got the job and then while I was there, I got saved. So I got to view that job from two different angles. I used to pull up people's credit reports 10 hours a day. I'd I'd take about 100 calls a day, people calling in, why did I get rejected for a loan? Why didn't I get the car? And then I'd look at their credit and tell them what happened. Over and over again, somebody would go to school, a university, and they'd go in deep, deep in debt. $150,000, $200,000. We're talking two, three million rands in debt. And they are now 20 years graduated, still paying off that debt. Now, going to university, I'm not knocking it. I think it's a wonderful endeavor and work hard at it. Take advantage of that opportunity. 
But it shocks me that the world will go deep into debt, years at school, work hard to climb the corporate ladder. To what end? Just to build bigger barns. And here we are. We're disciples of Christ. We have God Almighty that we can seek after. We can be filled with all the fullness of God. And what kind of effort are we putting in to knowing Him better? We're not going to charge you $200,000 to come and learn the Bible. The world will run after, chase after the riches of this world, but how about we as disciples follow hard after God? That's what David said in the book of Psalms. My soul followeth hard after thee. Say, God, I'm chasing you. I'm chasing you. That's a good posture for any Christian. Chase after God. Chase Him until you find Him. Jesus taught us like this in Matthew 6 when He dealt with this same subject. He said, be careful that the light that is in you doesn't become darkness. Now, have you ever wondered what that means? How can light become darkness? Because if you have God and you have money, the temptation is to use God, light, to get the money, darkness. So so now, God, you are here. I'm going to put you, God, down second. You're here as a servant to help me get money. So God, you're the genie in the lamp. Whenever I need you, I'll let you know. But otherwise, you just stay in your corner, stay in your cage. But, But God, when I need you, I'll bring you out so you can help me get money. That's when the light becomes darkness. That's not what God's there for. Some years ago, when I was in Malawi as a missionary there, we, we had a, I had a, the idea when, I thought this would work. I thought it was a good idea. Whew, did this backfire. I told people, if you come to church and you're a first-time visitor, we'll give you a free Bible. You remember that, honey? Man, did we go through some Bibles. Whew, we had a lot of people showing up. Everybody in that town, in that little area, would start saying, hey, there's the church where you can go get a Bible. We'd have visitors come, get the Bible, off they go. That's okay. We got to change this. You have to come three times. Then you get the Bible. Okay, that actually calmed things down a bit, but still, we're going through a lot of Bibles. And, and then somebody would come and say, Yo, Pasta, sorry, sorry, sorry. I lost my Bible. I need another. And we had one guy especially. He was every week, ah, yeah. You know, the dog ate it. I, I lent it to my grandma. And she took it to the village. I mean, there was always something. I, I dropped it in the fire. That was one of his. I dropped it in the fire and the pages are burnt. I thought, oh, man, this guy's got problems. This guy started bringing visitors with him. I mean, he, he had people, he'd bring five, six people every week. He, and he'd get Bibles for all of them. And this went on for several months, five, six months. Eventually, somebody came to me one Sunday and they said, uh, Pastor Mike, is this your Bible? Because we put a stamp in the front of the Bible, the Bible Baptist Church. So we opened it up and said, yep, there's my stamp. That's one of our Bibles that we give out. They said, ah, that one, and pointed to that man. That one, eh? He is in the market selling these Bibles. So, that sorry sucker. He set up a nice little business in our church. Yeah, man. Listen, the world finds a way to get to their ultimate goal. And if that means you've got to tread underfoot the Son of God and His Word to get there, the world has no problems with that. If you've got to lie to the church, if you've got to be deceitful and subtle, they have no problems with that. They put in a lot of effort. They seek and find it. 
Why is it that we as Christ's disciples, if we have God dwelling in our heart, we condemn the guy for selling the Bible, but okay, amen, he should be condemned. But do you read yours? We'll say, shame on you for selling that Bible, but then do you open yours? Do you read yours? Hey, how about you try this? Go buy a Bible and give it to somebody else. Asking for nothing again. Get the Word of God into somebody else's hands and into their heart. You have God, so don't act like the world. Pursue, follow hard after Him. And then lastly, verses 32 down to 34. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then this ominous advice, Sell that ye have and give alms, that give an offering, help the poor. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So my third point is this, you have God, so prepare for a future with Him. The book of Amos, we read in chapter 4, the prophet said, prepare to meet thy God. If you have God living in your heart, you should be taking measures daily to get ready to see Him when you get to heaven. And in order to do that, to prepare properly, Jesus gives us some advice in this passage. Let's take a look at this now. In verse number 32, He says, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you are born again, that means one day you will enter into what we would refer to as the political kingdom of God. Jesus is going to be seated on the throne of his father David, king of kings, lord of lords, ruling this world. And if you're saved, you will be in that kingdom. Why? It is the father's good pleasure to give the disciples of Christ that kingdom. You'll be in that kingdom. It doesn't mean though. Just because you're saved, it doesn't guarantee you an abundant entrance into that kingdom. Do you understand there's a difference between entering in and entering in abundantly? If you were here Thursday night, we talked about that in our lesson, right? Second Peter chapter 1, if you have faith, add to that faith. And if you add to the faith, you bring forth fruit. And Peter said, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can enter in empty-handed. If you are busy only carrying about the bags of this world, there's a good chance that you're not going to be ready to get to the other side. Let me illustrate it like this. Imagine in your mind, I was going to try this with actual bags, but I thought it would be a bit cumbersome. Imagine if I asked somebody, run as fast as you can from that wall to that wall. They could pretty much zip across there. But now I give this man two big bags filled with bricks. And I ask him to take the same journey. Is he going to move as fast? No, he's weighed down. He can't run the race because he's too busy carrying his bags. The Bible says if we're going to run the race with patience, lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. If it is a sinful thing, you need to let it go, obviously. But you also need to consider, are there some earthly things that I'm hanging on to too tightly and it's hindering me from preparing for my eternal future. Jesus, as, as far as financial advisors go, you're not going to get better than Jesus with anything, with any kind of advice, but even financial advice. Jesus, I think, 
Whew, you talk about some drastic advice. Verse 33, sell that you have. Sell that you have. You know, Jesus often would get drastic with his advice. I, I, like I said earlier, I wouldn't give this advice. Not in every way. Because I'm human, I'm frail. I, I, I would give advice that makes me feel a bit better about the situation. Jesus said, if you want to enter into the kingdom, if you need to, pluck out your eye. I would never tell somebody that. Of course, I'm not the son of God like he is. <laughs> Pluck out your eye. Cut off your hand. Right? If your hand is stopping you from getting into the kingdom, better to go without a hand and get into the kingdom. Right? That's drastic. If you have to choose between your hand and the kingdom, choose the kingdom. Does that make sense? If you have to cut something out of your life, take that drastic measure. That's how important eternity is. For some people... Telling them to sell something and give it away, that's worse than plucking out the eye. That's worse than cutting off the hand. Don't touch my money. Jesus said, listen, you're going to be better off to drop these earthly bags where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Drop the earthly bags, give it away, let, and this way, listen, the bags are waiting for you at the end of the journey. You're not giving up the bags. You're trading the bags for something better. Jesus said this makes more financial sense to have something that will never fade away compared to a few earthly days with it running and, and hindering your life. Get the balance right. And if you've got to take drastic steps, to even sell some stuff, do that. So, I'll be honest. If it were me, I wouldn't step in and say, hey, some of you need to go home and look around in your house and sell some stuff off. I wouldn't say that, but Jesus would. So I'm going to pass on to you what he said. Some of you need to go home, look around in your house, and sell some things. Because it's not doing any good in your garage or in that extra shed or that other barn that you had to build. Sell it off and give it to somebody that needs it. And provide for yourselves bags which wax not old. I believe what we're learning here is what Paul said in Colossians. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. It's okay that you have it. It's okay that you enjoy something down here. But if you're only focused on that and you have nothing waiting for you on the other side, you're not acting like a true disciple of Christ. You have God, so you should be preparing to see Him one day. And God help you if you get to the judgment one day and there's no gold, there's no silver, there's no precious stone, you have nothing to show for your life. You only entered the kingdom. That's all you did. But you went in empty-handed. You have got to prepare now for that day. And if you have to sell some stuff, do it. It is a worthy investment. Because we're thinking beyond just this life. Some years ago when I started off in Malawi... It was, I think at that time, either the poorest or the second poorest country in the world. And when I got there, I think I'd been there about a year, I, I began to teach a series of lessons on giving, which you might think is strange to do in a nation with extreme poverty. But the biblical command and all the blessings that come with giving is not, it's not given to rich people, it's given to people. It's given to people. And they need to know that part of the Bible as well. 
I taught them for about six or seven weeks. Every Sunday in the Sunday school hour, I would teach on giving. And I didn't let them give for six weeks or however long it was. No giving, no offerings. I said, at the end of the series, then I'll let you give again. So by the end of the series, they were kind of excited to do it. Now in Malawi, our offering system is a little different. We don't have ushers that take bags to you. We put a big wicker basket up on the front on a, on a bench. And at this time, we were meeting in a schoolroom. So it's kind of tight, you know, about 100 people in a small, small schoolroom about the size of this entire platform. We were packed in there kind of tight. And during the offering, we're cheer cheerful givers. We sing and we dance and we clap. And then we come forward and you put something in the plate. And everybody, if you want to give, you come to the plate. The plate doesn't come to you. So you have your offering and you're coming forward and you dance and clap and then you put it in and then you go back and you're dancing and you're clapping. As you can tell, I get into that. I'd love to try that here one time. Except a bunch of you white folks who just trip over your feet and fall. <laughs> hey, I'm coming. Oh. <laughs> so I'd finished this series on giving and I'm standing, I remember it vividly. I'm standing with my back against the wall and I can see the offering plate. So I'm kind of at a side angle here. And I'm watching the people as they come and as they give. And, and we're singing, we're dancing, we're clapping, and several people coming up and dropping a little bit of money here and there. And it's a blessing. It's going well. The people, you could just feel it. It, it. The people were into that. And I was watching one lady. She was sitting there, no clapping, no dancing. I thought, well, that's strange. Everybody claps and dances. But she wasn't. She was just in deep thought. I said, man, what is, what's going on? And after a minute or two, she, she came forward, not, not with as much gusto as usual, but she came forward real quiet. She had nothing in her hands. And she went forward. She got to that plate, and no one else was there. Usually there's three or four people around it. She was just standing there. And after about three, three five seconds, something like that, three to five seconds, she took her watch off. She, she had a nice watch, which, which that's a delicacy there. You don't get that often. She was married to a very brutal drunk beat her constantly. And, and we knew she's not going to be able to replace this watch. Her husband's not going to give her money to replace that. She took that watch off and put it in the offering plate. And my heart just broke. I said, my goodness. That, that is, dare I say, the equivalent of some of you coming and putting your car keys in the offering plate. Because it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing to own a watch. She dropped that in there. And I, the tears started to run down my face and I thought, God, that has to be so special to you. And she, and, and she slowly walked back with clapping and the whole church saw what happened and we were just blown away. And after that, we just kept singing, dancing, and more people started coming. That lady came back. Again, nothing in her hands. She just came up quietly, slowly, stood there for a moment, took her shoes off and put them under the bench. Gave her shoes. Turned around and went back. I couldn't handle it. I, I, I couldn't sing. I couldn't dance. I couldn't clap. I just sat there and wept. And I thought, here's somebody that has just made an investment in eternity. I have just witnessed some gold, some silver, some precious stone. I have, I have just seen treasure laid up not in Malawi but in heaven. 
I've just seen it, and I can't wait for the day when I get to see that lady approaching the throne of God. No longer does she have a watch or shoes, but a golden crown that she's able to cast before the Savior's feet, and never will she regret having taken off that watch or put that shoes under the offering plate. It was a worthy investment. You say, why? She has God. What's a watch? What's a pair of shoes? When you have God, she has laid something up for eternity. Do you have plans for that day? Do you have any gold, silver, and precious stone that can be put together into a crown that you can cast at His feet? As long as you are here and still breathing, you have a chance. Even if you have to sell some things, take some drastic steps, you can get ready for that wonderful day. Let's conclude in verse number 34. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You say, my heart is not exactly where it should be with God. Some other things have crept up and become too important to me. Today's a good opportunity to cut those ties, to set those things straight and say, let, let me get my finances right so that my finances reflect how I truly feel about God. Put the treasure where it needs to be, and according to Jesus, your heart will follow. Make an investment in heaven. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's stand, have our heads bowed and eyes closed, and the pianist will come and play something softly, please. We're going to take just a moment to think on what we've heard. I've preached this morning about you have God. So, now perhaps that's presumptuous. Jesus was talking to his disciples and that's what I've tried to do today. But let me not skip a step here. If you've never been born again, then friend, you don't have God. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So if you are going to seek after the kingdom of God, it starts with getting born again. How about you, friend? Have you been born again? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Friend, have you been born again? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you have eternal life? If you don't, right after we close, I'm going to have a quick meeting as you heard, but come and find me. I'll make myself available and we can privately talk about it. I'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know that you have eternal life. But I also know many of you in the building today, you are born again. You do have God. So, let's make sure our finances reflect that. Let's work hard so that we're able to give. We're able to support those that are going through a tough time. Support the gospel all over the world. You have God, so don't worry. You have God, so don't 
don't treat money like the world treats money. You have God, so dear friend, prepare to meet Him. We're going to give these a moment just to think and pray. This is your chance to listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. And if He tells you something drastic, just know that that's how Jesus talks. Jesus doesn't tell everybody to sell all that they have. He did tell a man that. But that man had a deep problem with covetousness. So if you've got to take drastic steps, take them. What we learn today is just sell something. You take the steps that God is leading you to take. I don't know about you folks, but when I was preparing for this sermon and I got to that point about you have God, so don't worry. I thought about all those times in my life that I've, all those sleepless nights I've wasted. Not once did worrying about it help. God has been so good. How dare I doubt Him? How rude. After all he's done, all I should do is fall, fall at his feet and thank him. Say, God, you've been so good to me. Even in the bad times, he was good. I cannot wait for that future with him to become a reality. Let's take advantage of this time we have to get ready for it. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. It is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We don't deserve that. Lord, you have the hairs of our head numbered. Thank you, God. Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry for doubts. You know our frame that we're but dust. We're so frail, God. The smallest thing can, can cause doubts to arise. You're better than that. Lord, we know it. Help us, God. We, we want to treat you like you deserve to be treated. Lord, if anybody's here and not saved, please deal with their heart. And Father, for those that are saved... Show them what steps they need to take to get ready for eternity. Lord, we love you. Thank you for teaching us today. Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching us how finances can affect our heart. Help us to be careful about it, to be mindful of it. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.